in 1 Corinthians, the letter to the church at Corinth, to me, it, it, it's so impactful, it's so important, so powerful, because it addresses what we all deal with. We've, I've chose to title this series, Called Out, Called Up, God's Invitation to Live and Love at a Higher Level. And, and the whole premise for that is the church at Corinth that was much like our culture in so many ways carnal, if you would, and just driven by society, very uh, affluent, influential, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of junk happening in Corinth. Some have said you could compare, you, if you merged New York, L.A., and San Francisco, you would have Corinth. So that kind of gives you a feel of what the derive and everything was. Well, anyway, this church is birthed there. God brings it about. And they've been called out of the culture but they're still in it. it you're, you know, they're, they're in the world, but not of the world. But more than just called out like you and I, we're, we're brought out of how we used to be. And we're also called up. In other words, to have a vertical view, if you would. Uh, we've referenced the book of James and the, the description of earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. And, and I'm going to use that analogy in the hand motions, if you would, um, to convey that. You know, vertical is where we're, we're looking to God. You know, we're, we're wanting his wisdom to flow to us. Horizontal are the things of this life, the things of this world, the earthly wisdom. Well, we've been called out and called up to have this heavenly view. And it actually was the, the second part to that is God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. Before you were born again, you, you were able to live at a certain level, a natural level. But now being born again, there's this invitation to live at a higher level, if you would, a greater understanding and a deeper purpose. So we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 10 to 23 this morning. But let's see here. Yeah, let's see. Well, let me just give you a kind of a background on it a little bit, because you may think, well, I, I, I hope it has application. It, it's it's 2,000 years ago. Uh, does it apply to me? Yes, it does. It's a convicting yet encouraging portion of Scripture. Convicting because as Christians, we all wrestle with the desires of the natural man that are against the desires of the spiritual man. There's the old you, that who you used to live, how you, who you used to be, how you used to live before you were born again, and now there's this enmity, this collision between the two. Agreed? You know, everybody deals with it. I've been a believer for over 30 years. It's still an issue. It, it varies in, in influence in certain measures, but we're, we're all familiar with it. Let me give you. Let's go over some basics. When you're born again. You've went from only natural desires to the new life spiritual desires. Agreed? So when you became a Christian, when you were born again, I'll talk about that. You were living this way, but now you have the capacity, the invitation, and the ability to live in a different fashion. So it's a challenge to figure out how to do that. You don't quit your job in most cases. You don't divorce your wife. You don't abandon your children and try to live this holy life. You actually realize, okay, what, how do I do this? You know, born again speaks of surrender to God and receiving forgiveness of your sins. Born again begins with God awakening you 
to the knowledge of your sins. Then he guides you to the truth of Jesus, revealing to you he's the one who died and rose from the dead so you could be forgiven of your sins. So by his grace, you're, you're brought in this journey, if you could take the, use this analogy with me, you, on this journey of life, you've been brought to the crossroad of conversion. Turn to Jesus and receive new life, or turn from him, and, and the Bible says, and be dead in your sins. Those who turn to him, trust in him, are born again. Now, I believe that because some people, you know, they, maybe they haven't heard that simplicity or that explanation because maybe church attendance and, and just doing good moral ethical things seems to be enough. It's not. It, it has no measure, no bearing on your salvation. Doing things for God to impress God is actually an insult to God if you're doing it so then he can invite you to heaven. Your invitation to heaven is because of his grace, unmerited favor. He, he met you on this crossroad and said, you need forgiveness of your sins. You need to have a relationship with me. And we can say, ah, I'm good or I'm not. But the fact is, we, have, we, I, we looked at this two weeks ago. You must be born again. It's not negotiable. It's not like, well, grandma was nice and I love grandma and she loved me and she loved Jesus, so I get to go in on her pass. It doesn't work that way. You must be born again, Jesus said very specifically and clearly. Now, Agreeing with God concerning our personal sin, responding to his invitation, saying, Lord, I need, God, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I don't know it all, but I, I believe you are the only way by which I can be saved and be made right. So I, by faith, step out. When you're born again, you still have the same face, agreed? I mean, your countenance might glow a little bit, of course, but you have the same eyes, the same ears, the same appetites, the same interests, but you're changed on the inside. This is the key. You're born again, born of the Spirit. God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit speaking to your innermost being. And then your desires begin to change. You're not okay with what you used to do, with things you used to say. I reflect on my own life, and I, I for whatever reason, I just... I had made this literally a conscious decision. I'm not yet, I'm obviously not yet a Christian. I grew up in a very, you know, uh, well, I, I worked in a very profane environment. I, I worked in a truck shop with truck drivers and diesel mechanics, and, you know, we just had our own little realm, if you would. I determined to be so profane that I would say things that the diesel mechanic or the truck driver would go, Davis, you're disgusting. See, that was one of my goals. I mean, I, I've chose higher standards at this point, of course, but do you, you see what I'm saying? Now, I didn't say, hey, dude, i got to clean up my language. I'm going to church now. There was something that was happening within me that was realizing that those, I shouldn't be speaking like that. Nobody emailed me the acceptable Christian vocabulary. They didn't take away the four adjectives I used in different fashion, all beginning with the same letter. You know what I'm saying? Why did I change? It was because God was doing a work on the inside, just like in your life. You don't change so you can be right with God because he's brought his righteousness into your life. You're learning how to live that way. You have this choice now that we didn't have before. You had a choice before. You called it New Year's resolution where you determined to fail quickly in the first of the year by making declarations. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
And what do you do? Because you're relying on your own strength. And now, born again, born of the Spirit, we actually are empowered. We're enabled. We're equipped to live this new life. And we have to figure out and sort out. We wrestle with the desires of the natural man that compete against the desires of the new spiritual man. Let's pray. Lord, as we would recognize this principle, this truth, may we not um, excuse ourselves. May we not somehow think, ah, I'll figure it out later. I pray, God, as we would journey through this portion of Scripture, familiar to many of us, a passage that you spoke to us, perhaps a verse or a word, and you've encouraged us in the past. A passage, Lord, that contains very important elements and truth for us. May we not live only in the past, but have a faithful, genuine, and real expectation that you'll teach us even more today right where we are in our walk with you, right where we are in this reality of life, Lord. May we not slip into some exemption that when we receive from you this morning. Teach us, O oh God. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Teach us this day, we ask by faith in your name. Amen. So, I have to now mention one other thing because I... Uh, was somewhat, I was convicted, but I, I really felt it was important that I bring clarity. So it's been said that this guy at Calvary Chapel, Mountain Home, this uh, Pastor Dan, he's real straightforward on difficult issues. Somebody had said that. Um, another way to say that is he's harsh and inflexible. <laughs> he's, uh, mm, my goal is not to offend somebody. Sometimes that's the result of teaching and preaching and presenting I believe it's important to be clear and concise on matters that are, that are important. And I don't apologize for doing that. But I want to make sure that this is clear. We're not to be unloving to people. You know, there's some issues of gender. There's some issue of sexuality. There's some foolish teaching taking place. It's really culminated, or at least it gained ground about 2020. And stupid is doing really good right now. And I don't believe we should entertain it. I don't believe we should patronize somebody by spending weeks building up what the real issue is than to tell them the issue when you could have told them that three weeks ago. So I do like, I do think there's a value in being concise, but I never want it to be perceived that it's unloving. I actually think it's more loving. Someone's going the wrong way, like, ooh, I don't want to tell them. Let's wait four hours so they can turn around and drive back additional distance. You, you would want to say it quickly. But you also have to convey empathy, concern, compassion. And for me, some people in our culture have been deceived and misled and terribly treated by supposed leaders. People in position, whether in academia or politics, have brutally, in some cases, abused people with their pet agendas. And I... I, I I'm really irritated by that leadership, if you would. But I'm deeply concerned. My heart is for those who have been hurt and misled. Many people have been hurt and misled. And they have this confusion in regards to their gender, their, their sexuality, their, their, their political position, the social needs, and all these different things. I would love, I love, I actually enjoy engaging with people and having conversation. I don't have to tell them that they're wrong. I, I like to hear from them. I respect them as people. I hope you do the same. But here, when I'm here, 
I've got to address the issues that are important to all of us in a way that we can walk away with simplicity and, and understanding and truth. Does that make sense? So you guys got to pray for me because that's important. Because I, I don't feel compelled to soft sell anything. I don't feel compelled to, to water it down and, and, and serve it in such a fashion that it's palatable. Because it, anyway, so does that make sense? Anyway? Any questions? I don't have room to dialogue. Talk to me later. So, verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read through it and come back and, and work through the context. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All right, well, let's move back over to verse 10, and let's kind of break this apart. What's happening is the church in Corinth was, was focusing on individual association. Uh, they were dividing into camps and saying, well, I like the way this guy is, and I like the way this is. And, and rather than recognizing, they had a beautiful unity with the phenomenal in interdependent individuality, they were dividing and splitting and separating. He said, listen, let's, let's just go back to some basics here. Now, as he laid that out, he's then sharing how he had been given the, the word of God. He, God had spoke to Paul. Paul understood he was not something special in that he was the only one who could, you know, write letters and, and you know, reach the world. He's just recognizing, I, I was once like this, and God has changed my life and changed me and brought me to this point. And he's saying, I, he was in verse 10 there, you know, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, not because Paul was wise, but because God in his undeserved kindness and grace, he, he gave it to Paul. He's laid the foundation and another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. We build, we build on the foundation we've received. Agree? You know, Paul is actually a fascinating person in that he was used by God. The, the heart of God poured into the vessel Paul that the hand of Paul would bring forth the heart of God. So Paul really didn't see himself as something. He just knew that's what happened. And so that, what we know, is the, the foundation 
literally Genesis to Revelation is what we have, and we build on that. So he was a part of the initial foundation building. Does that make sense? The assembling of the truth. So he didn't create them, he just assembled them, helped assemble them. And now we build on the foundation. And you can see the simple principles. It's, it's a great picture, if you would, because he's referencing not only, as we see in the verses to come and in the chapters to come, the, the temple that was present there in um, Jerusalem some years, well, actually at the time of Paul, it will later be destroyed. He's he's talking about that foundation in a building. The foundation is important, correct? You decide you want to build a house, but man, we got to get in. We got to get going. We got payments coming. Let's just go. Well, what are they doing? I don't know. They spent two weeks playing in the dirt. And then they put these wooden things up around everything and they poured a bunch of liquid junk in there. It's just ridiculous. They're just stalling. You know, the foundation building is, is a very slow process. And it looks like nothing's being done. Agreed? And then the floor, the trusses are put down and the flooring's put on. And then the, the walls start going up real rapidly in our architectural design for this climate and culture. It's important to have the foundation, though, agreed? You say, you know, I ain't got time for this. Just build it over there. If you don't know how this works, go buy some supplies. They're really expensive right now. But just buy a shed. But don't, do, don't worry about the floor. Just build it. It'll be fine. You can, you can put your stuff in there. And then the wind will come. And the rains will go. And it'll tip over. You, it's so simple. It's so beautiful. He's saying, listen, make sure you're building on this foundation. We don't want to build on a shifting sand type foundation. What am I saying? I'm saying this in our culture. As you look at social media, as you deal with various forms of influence, you know, the media, as we call it. You know, let me say something that maybe, I mean, I hope I can clarify it enough. Do you know the media, I, it, we're wrong when we say they don't tell the truth? No one's agreeing with me. They do tell the truth. The problem is they put their editorial opinion on it. When they say there's a crash at Fairview and Curtis and Boise, that's the truth. When they tell you that crash was caused by some political ideology and some indifference, and then they spin the whole thing around the other way, you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's not easy just to read something and know, oh, that means this. It's, it's rather complicated to glean and sort and get the truth out of that. But let me say it in summary. Be careful how you form your views, how you establish your values, and how you live your life. Because we're going to see from this text, it's easy for things to creep in. And the next thing you know, we're supporting something that deep down we don't agree with. We shouldn't even actually be, to some measure, a part of. So he said, saying here in verses 10 and 11, No other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Make sure you form your personal values and your family values and what you do on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me because I've had the pleasure and, and the privilege and the responsibility even of pastoring here for 24 years. And it's interesting too because over the years, uh, very gracious and very kind people in complimentary ways have said, I, I like the way you guys do it here. I, I like that you go through the Bible, not just from the Bible, that you, you walk through the Word. And people have said over the years consistently, I like that when, I, I, I feel like I can read the Bible now. I feel it's not so intimidating. I've, I've gained insight. There's some understanding to it. 
And I find myself going, how sad. Not at their statement, but that that's a distinctive. Why should it be in the church that this is something that's identifiable, that we walk through the word together, that we grasp and comprehend and we walk away having a sense we can dig in and, and pray and that God will show us individually and corporately? That should not be a distinctive. I mean, it shouldn't be unique. Agreed? Because what's happening? In organizations and gatherings that call themselves the church, many do not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll teach contemporary issues. They'll talk about hot topics. They'll bring in secular books with certain principles. And, and that'll be the emphasis and the thrust. He's saying here, there's no other foundation. Nothing to be laid but that which is Jesus Christ. So I have a simple approach. When I ha get to that point where I sense that I've got nothing else to say about Jesus, then I can, well, I can quit. Or I can teach some other thing. But you know what? Pretty sure I'm not going to get to where I have nothing else to say about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, so anyway, I want to encourage you. Make sure you, you're sorting this out and keeping it close because you travel more than I do. Many of you will, will have traveled to here because of your commitment and your, um, your career in military and in the things that you do. You've traveled to here and many have traveled on to the next place and the next place. And you're going to walk away with something. Hopefully you're going to walk away with, a, with an understanding. This is the foundation for my life. My relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with the living God who has forgiven me. And he's given me life. And he teaches me now how to live. He gives me hope and encouragement. This letter's fascinating. This chapter, really. He's saying, you guys are so immature. You little punks. But he's using nicer words. He's saying, listen, you guys are so stuck on this world. I want to help you not live there. Isn't that fascinating? And he's non-judgmental. He said, I don't want you to be stuck in this mode. I want to help you to grow because his desire is that they would grow. He gives the insight as well. Not We have this foundation we build here. Now, if, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So once again, we make sure we understand what the work is. It's your life values. It's how you live your life in regards to your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what you do with your time. It's what you do with your life. Work is not something that you do to achieve relationship. It's because you have relationship. You do it because of the relationship. Why, why do I make that distinctive? We, we don't want it to think, well, I got to go to church. I got to do this stuff so I can be approved by God. So I can, I can be right with God. I can be okay with God. No, no. Because you receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ, because you acknowledge your sin, because you're born again, you are right with him. And because of that relationship, you now want to live in a manner that honors him, because you are, it's really a sense of simple appreciation. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. They, they realize, man, if other people knew the depth of my heart, how I really am, the thoughts of my mind, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. But he knows, and he actually draws me closer to him to help me grow. So our work, how is it tested? Well, it's passed through the filter of his word. 
you understand, you know, filters are a means by which you can remove impurities. You can do it with hydraulics, liquid. Uh, you can do it with, you know, airborne material. You know, uh, vehicles have that air cleaner, which is just a filter for keeping impurities out. Probably the best way to follow this along is with the analogy presented, and that is, you know, um, your work is passed through the furnace of Scripture. The furnace of Scripture. What remains? Well, let's just think about it. Imagine some sort of conveyor belt, so to be for picture or imagery. And on that conveyor belt is wood, hay, and stubble. And what comes out the other side will be a, a valued product. And so, first line goes through, wood, hay, straw, or stubble. What do you think is coming out the other side on the furnace? Nothing. <laughs> Ashes. There, there's nothing of value. So, that, if you build with that, then it, there's nothing coming out. Well, what is that? It's earthly wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. That which will not stand the test of the totality of Scripture. You can have a certain idea, a work, an effort, that will pass the test of an individual word or maybe a verse. We, we know that people use the Bible to do all types of horrible things over the last couple thousand years. They have used it for murder. They have used it for adultery. They've used it for divorce. They've used it, you name it. People will say, well, the Bible says, well, because it's not the totality of Scripture. If you're looking at something, don't you like to have good vision? Like, few of you do because you wear glasses. These don't work real good, but they're okay. You, that improves your vision. And, and one of the measures we have is what? 2020 vision. And I know I'm going to get technical on some of the, actually better than 2020. But just think of 2020 vision. It's kind of catchy, a little, little cheesy, whatever. If you're looking at a passage of scripture and you're going, okay, what does that mean? I think it means this. Look at 20 verses before and 20 verses after. And let me know what you think. Because I've found over the years that when you look at the totality, when you look at in the context, the content, sitting in the context, you're going to have a much better conclusion. It'll clear out some of your doctrinal challenges. It'll clear, clear out some of your other personal challenges. So I want to encourage you, our work will be measured. And I want me, I want to make sure that I'm seeing it. In, okay, here's the filter of scripture. Dan wants to go do this. He's impressed by a passage of scripture and he reads it more thoroughly and realizes, yeah, that's just not the best way to spend finances at this point. And I, and I see what, what the word of God says. So it's being tested. And the same in your engagement, your interaction. How's our work measured? So we're speaking of this work. Well, how's it measured? In other words, what, what, how would we value it, um, uh, consider the content? Here's some things I want to ask you. Is the, is the work measured by quantity, volume? I would say mm, possibly, but not the emphasis. Is it measured by consistency? Same thing over and over. These are, these are secular measures, agreed? You know, how well you can produce the volume-wise. Um, consistency, the product is the same over and over. You go to a particular restaurant because it has a particular name and a particular menu and a particular consistency to the item that you order. What about comparison? Is your work measured by compare? Well, they do it that way, and I do it this way because they're similar, and I learned from that. Well, you could certainly entertain those, but that's not the measure. 
Your work as a Christian, a follower of Christ, my work as, a, as the same, is, is measured by faith and humility. It was measured by our dependence, our reliance upon Him. That's why we have passages in Scripture, and I'll just give you the content or context of a few, where we see in the Psalms where it says, Search me and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now you think about the, the humility around that. It's by faith, and God, I, I think I'm doing okay. And you should, I hope, many of you can look at your life and go, I, I think I'm doing okay. I, I'm not defiant towards God that I'm consciously aware of. I, I seem to be doing way better than I used to, which is not the best measure. But then you can say, but, but, but search me. Lord, I, I don't know. Search me and see if there's any distorted, twisted, evil, wicked way within me that I'm not seeing. And then God, lead me in the way everlasting. I'm on this course, but I don't recognize it. And yet when I recognize it, I'm like, oh, okay, God, lead me in this other way. What way? I don't know which way. I believe by faith that he's going to show me and teach me. And it's true among every one of us. Search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. and Lead me in the way everlasting. There's a, another element, another passage, where we seek to be cleansed by God. Cleanse me from my sins, we see. There's a person who set out to do something he shouldn't do, and he knew he shouldn't do it. And he was warned, listen, that's not where you should be looking. Well, who is this woman that I'm looking at? It's like she's married, dude. Yeah, I know, but, you know, she's beautiful to behold. And that person then invited that married woman to his home, committed adultery with that woman, killed her husband to cover up his, his sin, and that person's name is David from Scripture. So he honestly, to a certain degree, ignored the principles of God, the truths of God, went his own way, but yet he's recognized as a person who, God says of him, is a man after God's own heart. How can that be? I believe it has to be considered where he says, cleanse me from my sin. See, he recognized, God, I, I, I did it. I am not covering it up. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm, I'm not putting it on someone else. Before you and I, I am guilty, God. Cleanse me of my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. So important because I think as we're, we walk with God longer, we're, less, uh, we're more reluctant to make that request. And yet that's how he's going to measure life, by our, our, our faith, our humility, our dependence upon him. And we also see where, you know, scriptures, several, uh, in Ephesians, it speaks of, you know, the equipping of his people. He equips us. If you set out to do something and you sense God's prompted you to do it, at some point you're going to go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to do that. I've never served in that way. I've never given that fashion. I, oh, I don't know how to do it. But the cry of the heart, of dependent upon God, says, equip me, God. I, I need your help to show me how to do this. As a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, you may not catch it consciously, but in the background of your beating heart, there's a desire for one thing. Every Christian, every Christian, there's this, this desire, it comes from the word of God, where you will hear in that day, him say to you, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, that's, you see how that's how he's measuring. It's not by who has the biggest church or who did this or who walked the most old people across the street for their Cub Scout points or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's your heart, your relationship with him. That's how he measures it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Moving along in our text in verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on, it, it, it endures, he will receive a reward. You know, gold, silver, precious stone. They do better under the furnace of Scripture. They do better under the heat, correct? Some are even purified even more in this particular process of heating them up. So if it endures, you receive a reward. God equips us and enables us to be his ambassadors in this world. There is a reward for our obedience. Those of you that are parents or were once a child, which I just included everybody, you get it. You know, your parents, you know, they give you instruction. And when you did things according to their instruction, there was a certain measure of reward for the obedience. Most of us can only remember when, you know, our parents were harsh and unruly and somehow they seemed to escape out of hell with the devil and now they're ruling over us and requiring us to do things and they're so mean. Because they make us take out the trash and like make our bed and clean our stuff up and we don't do it. So then they go all, you know, postal on us and whatever. You No, you, that happened because you were disobedient. Because you wouldn't do what you knew to do. So there's a simple truth that they loved you enough to say there's consequences to that choice. And you've lost some of your opportunities because of what you chose to do. You see it. And God, you think about that simple principle. He's like, in, my, in your relationship with me, there's obe- obedience is rewarded. Walking with him and being faithful to him is rewarded. Verse 15, well, what if it doesn't make it? If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You may lose your witness. You may even lose your reputation, but not your salvation. You know, probably, if you've been a Christian for very long or seen the headlines too much or much, there's been times when Christian leaders, pastors and ministers and people in position, have have lived contrary to the Word of God. They've committed adultery. They've lived immorally. They've handled finances unethically. And they've been removed from their position. And they should be. But they didn't lose their salvation. You see what's being said? Yes, you reward. Yes, you, you, we walk and we want to walk in obedience. But don't don't think that like, well, that he didn't that he blew he messed that all up. So therefore, he's not saved. No, he's very clear right here. He's like, listen, you, you could be destroyed, but you'll be saved. You'll come out smoking, <laughs> but you won't, you won't be you won't lose your relationship with God. It'll be an awkward one, but nonetheless. Verse sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Here it's speaking of the assembly of God which as a whole constitutes the temple of God, if you would. The temple of God, what's being conveyed is he dwells within you. It's, it's where people associated with God's presence. It reminded, him, reminded them of the Shekinah glory, the glory of God, the re- residence of God, if you would. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We'll get into greater detail in this when we get to chapter 6. So we're going to move along here into verse 17. Verse 17 is interesting because the word defiles and the word destroy 
are actually the same uh, Greek word. And what's interesting is he says, if, you, if anyone defiles the temple, and it, and it literally means to destroy or corrupt or damage as in reputation or purpose. So if anybody does damage, then they too will be damaged. It's, in, it's not the word in Greek that would speak of annihilation. It's a word that speaks of corruption. So when someone um, does something that gives a bad report to the Lord, the Lord removes them. He'll literally, so Paul understood this. Paul will read later in this letter, Paul understood. He said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. The context, he's saying, I don't just punch at the wind. I don't just fight beating at the air. But I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest after I have preached to others, I find myself disqualified. And what he's conveying is, I'm going out representing. But if I'm corrupting, if I'm bringing, you know, defilement, if you would, because of, the, of what I'm doing or what I'm, how I'm living, then I'll be removed. I'll be disqualified. It's really simple, honestly. It's not, it's not an issue of performance as much as an issue of relationship. In verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seem to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The key part to this leading in this last portion we'll cover, let no one deceive himself. The hardest person to reach is the self-deceived because they listen to their self too much. Your counsel is the worst counsel when it's the only counsel. You can talk yourself into anything. History's proven that. that probably another, now hang on, don't go, go all postal on me. The second worst counsel is often your mom. What? Yeah, mom loves you too much. My mom, she would give me, she, when I'm through a hard time, Mom is going to take care of Danny. She's going to go all mama bear on anybody that's going to get in the way. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, seriously. But I have to be wise enough. Like, Mom, I, I still think I should stick on course with this. No, you don't have to. You can come live with us. It's not going to work, Mom. No, it'll be fun. It'll be just like when you were a kid. No, it won't. It's like, Mom, come on. What we got to realize is don't listen to your foolish ideas. Don't listen to your foolish ideas. Don't convince yourself it's okay when you know it's not okay. Bad ideas are always supported by bad reasoning. Always. You can, I can come up with almost anything, and history shows this. You can use scripture to support any stupid action with no limitations. You'll find a verse that will help you because you're not going to look at the whole thing. Here's what I say often, and I'll just be brief on this. When there's some issue that you're dealing with, you may desire to explain. And I believe it's okay to explain, at least to yourself, like, okay, why did I do that? Well, this is how it unfolded. And it's a healthy assessment involves some explanation. But be careful that explanation doesn't lead to the next step. The next step is excuse. So here's what happened, and this came this way, and that was that way. And so uh, I didn't know what to do, so I just did this, and that's why I did it. And now you're making an excuse. Your explanation might have been objective, but the excuse usually involves more subjective because it, it's leading from explanation to excuse to exemption. 
You exempt yourself. Now, this is why I don't have to do it because this and this and that and these. Do not deceive yourself. Don't become wise in your own eyes. It's a bad way to be. Verses 19 and 20. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Harvard, Harvard University was founded in 1636. It was named after a, a Puritan, uh, I believe it was a clergyman, named John Harvard. John Harvard had immigrated, and not too long after he arrived in Massachusetts, he passed away, he left everything for the purpose of educating clergy. Established as a clergy, a point of clergy education in a training school, teaching biblical truth and practical secular education. Sadly, Harvard and the vast majority of other colleges and universities have rejected higher learning. I know you're starting to get mad. Take a deep breath. They've rejected higher learning for horizontal learning. Do you understand that? They've went from this and wanting to be able to understand principles and truths, and then they've decided we can remove God. In their wisdom, they have become fools, and they produce and promote utter foolishness. And every time I address this, every time I bring this up, I, I met with a childish response that I'm against education. Oh, Pastor Dan, he doesn't believe in education. I am totally, I ain't standing here because I got nothing else to do on Sunday morning. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, the reality is, you know, we, we need to be educated. But let's be aware. Some of the things we've trusted in over the years are, are really ridiculous. I believe we should educate and learn throughout our lives. I can back it up in Scripture. I can direct you to Deuteronomy 6. We can look at Paul's life in 2 Timothy. He says to Timothy, bring to me, Mark, it's a relational thing, bring to me my cloak, my coat for warmth as prison's cold, and my parchments, my books. He knows he's soon to pass to be with the Lord. Clear to the end of his life, he chose to educate himself. He chose to be aware. We should learn medical truths. We should know laws of nature. We should understand science and human behavior. We should learn practical principles for commerce, vocation, engineering. We should be, uh, Christians of all people, should be curious of what God has done in creation. How, what are the principles and what's the foundation? Well, how does this all unfold? But rather than just seeking it this way, we choose to be this way. I want to understand how people think. I want to understand human behavior because I'm going to look to him to help me understand how things are, how people react. And, and I want to know more about physics. And I want to understand some things about the universe. And I want to look to him and go, man, how does this go? How does this unfold? We should be excited about this. I love that reality that we get to learn. We get to be educated. But the fact is, heavenly wisdom is the foundation Vertical truth poured out to bring horizontal wisdom. When you remove God, you cut off the flow of true wisdom and you come up with bad ideas that sound brilliant. What am I talking about? I don't think any of you have maybe been to Harvard, so I'm not like alienating too many, so I'll just say all colleges. 
pretty much covers everybody in any way or whatever. Here's the thing. Across the board, academia has exchanged higher learning for horizontal learning. And how do we know that? Well, when you come up with ideas that violate your very teaching, when you say that gender is fluid, but you're a medical school, you're stupid. You have given over to the, the dictates and the mandates of the populace or the politics. And you're not true to yourself. And, and I'm not picking on any particular one. There's many that are, quote, liberal arts or Christian in their name. And they've just totally sold out. So what do you do? So many of you are maybe at that age, like, look, I've been going to school. Or I've already filled out the form. I'm ready to go. Dan, what should I do? I don't know. I'm old. I'm not going back to school. I'm going to tell you. I can say this, though. Make sure you're getting a vertical input in your horizontal learning. You should understand these things. They should excite you. Don't discard them. Don't say, oh, don't go to college. That's bad. No. God has designed human learning through social engagement. Do you realize that? Human learning through social engagement. Whether it's from the father passing on to the son, the older women teaching the younger women, there's this, but just make sure our gatherings have room for God. Does your preference, your particular place of learning, has it eliminated the vertical flow? Has it eliminated God? Because Harvard has. Harvard's become so brilliant, they're stupid. Seriously, they've educated themselves right beyond intelligence. Because they say, yeah, you know, gender's this, and, you know, we don't need civil force and presence, you know, defund the police, and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm stuck on Harvard a little bit because I was there last week. I was on the East Coast. I was able to have, uh, you know, uh, went to a coffee shop our daughter likes. It was really good, good, really great meal, great fellowship. We walked into Harvard Square, and their commencement's all set up. And so we're cruising around there, and there's just something about being where, I don't know, it's just the learning process where, you know, you're hundreds of years, there's been a focus on understanding and growing. I, I got an opportunity years ago to go to Cambridge in England, and, and being on the site doesn't make me a smart person. You don't get to soak up the, you know, like, you know, ground yourself, like, ooh, I'm going to suck up some, you know, some intelligence to here. It ain't going to work. But it, there is something stirring about being where that has been a thrust and an emphasis. But it's also something disturbing when you realize they don't believe there is a God. They don't believe. They, they could, everything's going to shift and change. And it's all, wow. So let me just summarize all that somewhat of a ramble into this. Put God first. Put God first. As you seek to know the truth, keep God in the forefront of your mind. As you're understanding terms and things that maybe even this world, or you're like, I don't even want to know, I want to know this but you, you, your vocation or your interests or whatever, keep God first. Let him be the flow of wisdom into your life. The Bible says you have not because you ask not in regards to wisdom. And so, so seek his face. Let's wrap this up in verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Boast speaks of glory, rejoice, identity, identify with, if you would. Let me say it this way. Rejoice in God. Your identity in Christ is much greater than your degrees or accolades or rank or associations or where you sit in the socioeconomic realm from a financial perspective. What's the greatest? You are in Christ. You are born again, born of God. Everything is yours. Literally what he said. 
all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or world or life or death or things present to come, all are yours. It's kind of interesting because you think, why would you limit yourself to being an Apolloite? You can learn from Peter, Cephas, and you can learn from Paul. Why would you restrict yourself to only be of this camp when in reality in the body of Christ you, you can learn from so many and so much? You know, a pastor, I, can learn, I do learn regularly from each one of you in my engagement and interaction. I don't, I don't see myself as I have this position I'm supposed to know. That's earthly, that's earthly thinking. I get to engage with people, hear what they're going through, see how God's working in their life. My faith is encouraged by your stories. It's just so, it's so fascinating. All things are ours in Christ. We learn from one another. Verse 22, they're all ours. So let me say this. Keep eternity in view. Keep eternity in view. I'm going to skip this next portion. You can look it up. It's in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It's a beautiful summary, but we're going to move on to verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. Are you his? That's not something only you can answer. Are you his? And because you're his, if you resolve that, and you realize that because of his promises, then live for him. Let him change you. Let him mature you. Let him bring his work in and through you. Live and love at a higher level. You'll have no greater joy than to know you're walking in truth.